Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz. And on this week's episode, I was joined by Tom Wood. Tom has worked in the industry for over two decades. And over the last three and a bit years, he's been building his own recruitment business, Evans Denim Group. Tom is not afraid to share what he thinks. He's honest. And I absolutely love that when I meet people who are nothing short of themselves and are authentic. And I think it's really important in today's world, today's landscape to be exactly that. So we talk about everything from Tom's career in recruitment, the good, the bad, the ugly. We talk about his entrepreneurial journey so far, what he's learned, the difficulties, and also why he likes to call himself the anti-recruiter recruiter. And we dive into that. So plenty to learn in this conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll be inspired. Enjoy the conversation. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making the trip. As I said to you when I reached out to you, enjoy your videos, enjoy your content. Yeah. Not scared to share your opinion. Yeah. Be yourself. Yeah. And I always respect that about people. So I'm I'm really excited to yeah, dive into this journey of yours, what you've learned, the challenges, yeah. and most importantly, talk about this entrepreneurial journey that you're on after building a successful career in recruitment. So mm. I'm going to ask you the the million pound question that we always like to start with. Yep. But I guess what I always like to do just for people listening is just offer people just some immediate context on where Tom is on his journey, what he's been yep. up to. And yep. then, yeah, feel free to add anything. So how long have you been in recruitment? I'd say 20 years, I think, give or take. Yeah. 20 years. Roughly. Okay. Two decades Two of decades. recruitment. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I'm, then I'm feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously... Just to add the the sort of, in the last couple of years context and yep. what we're going to be talking about. So you officially launched your own recruitment business in Jan 2020. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's yourself, your wife is also yep. a shareholder. And then one of the very early employees that joined you on the journey is also yep. a shareholder in that business. Right. Yep. So your whole background uh, was tech sales. Correct. Yeah. Right. So you did that for, yeah, over 10 years, 15 years. Yeah. But I know now over the last couple of years, it's become sales and digital. Yep. You have a holding company and I know there's a few different things that yep. you're really excited about coaching, training, yep. these types of things that we're definitely going to talk about. But in terms of the first year of your business journey, I think you shared with me that you ended the first year around like eight to 10 people. Yeah. I think in terms of revenue in and around the million pound mark. Yeah. I think that was mainly all perm. Correct. You said yep. at that point. Yeah. And then obviously going into the second year, you was aware that you definitely wanted to build more of a contract part of your business. Yep. So this is where in the second year you invested in the digital team. Correct, yeah. And then, yeah, I think second year you said it ended around 14 people near around the 1.5 million revenue mark. Yep. Third year, just over 2 million rev. Yep. 
and the contract split now of is around 20% contract, 8% perm, around 18 people. But then we've got people in marketing, finance, customer yep. success, not just recruiters. Correct. So you're now in your fourth year. Is Just right? started. Just started. Yeah, so ja- January now mm. is the start of our fourth year. Fourth year. Okay, cool. Perfect. So hopefully that helps people listening. Yeah. That's where you're on your business Reminds journey. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I guess, why don't we start with, the, with this question, which I'm sure you've thought long and hard mm. about. There's one thing, hiring recruiters for your team when you're employed. Yep. It's a whole other thing, hiring recruiters for your own business. Mm. So I'd love to hear Tom's thoughts on, yeah, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you believe make up a highly successful recruiter in today's market? Yeah, good question. So for me, the typical recruiter has probably changed since I started. When I started out in the boiler room, when I started out doing the three hours a day on the phone, KPIs, you know, beat you with a stick to work, that person was very different to the person that you now see as a successful recruiter. And that's a good thing. I think the characteristics have changed. What I do think, though, is that some of the fundamental disciplines are still there. So some of the fundamental process structures, disciplines still need to be there. You know, we've become social, we've become social selling, but that still doesn't mean you can't have activity, you can't have structure, you can't have effort, you can't have work. So Mm. I think for me, I, I look at, do I want the stereotypical wide boy? No, I don't. But do I want some of the traits that those people had historically? Absolutely, I do. So if I think about some of the people I've hired and some of the people that have become successful recruiters for me, they haven't come from recruitment. So I've hired personal trainers, for example. So a couple of guys I've met in the gym from being mates, going to the gym on a, on a social level. And I, I would look at those guys. And, I, and I've hired them in my previous companies and, and that kind of person. The reason I would hire them is because they are so structured. If you think about anybody that does weight training at a decent level – They track their food, they track their diet, they track their macros, they've got training plans, they've got food plans, they've got prep time, they wake up at five o'clock in the morning to prep their meal, they go to the gym at six o'clock, they have a second meal, if they're doing PT, they're doing their day planning, they've got a plan throughout the day of set appointments, they're structured, they're processed, they follow programs, they're competitive because they want to beat the person in the gym next to them that's lifting more than them. There's an element of ego. There's an element of material things. They want to look good. Um, all of the disciplines, the competitiveness, the structure, the process, the organization, all of those disciplines are transferable, not just to recruitment, but to sales. Mm. So I would say to those guys, look, you do that, either for your personal gain or for your PT business, transfer that into recruitment and you will be a success. Mm. And, it's, and it's proved, you know, those guys have come in, they're the ones that have the day plans. They're the ones that are doing homework at night. They're in early. They're gymming in the morning. They're in the office at 8 o'clock, you know, 9 o'clock for anybody else. They're structured. They're processed. They're disciplined. They're competitive. They want to beat everybody. They want to win everything. That, for me, is, is some of the core skills that I think make a good recruiter. Mm. I think if you're not competitive, if you're not structured, if you're not process-driven, you will struggle, mm. you know. But it isn't the the levels of perhaps what it was in the 90s when I started or, or, or late 90s. It's a different version of that, but some of the fundamentals do still apply. Yeah, no, I like the way that you've put that in terms of the mix of, yes, some of the th- uh, disciplines and the important stuff is still true today. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. So just to touch on your career then, I think a couple of things that I just wanted to dive into straight away, yep. if it's cool with you, yep. 
is when we're sort of preparing for this, so you've always typically been in like a perm recruitment environment, yep. right? Um, or not? Yeah, uh, to a degree. So okay. I have done contract. I've built contract desks. I've built contract businesses. But the bulk of my experience would be more perm. And has it for a long time, was it tech sales? Always tech. Uh, yeah, I mean, always tech. And then I'll say for the last 15 years, tech sales. Tech sales. Okay, yeah. cool. So what I'd love to ask you, it was one of the things that you said to me in preparing for this, which mm. was around you was in a position at that time in your career where consistently you were billing circa 500k yep. a year. Yeah. Now, for a lot of people, that will be a destination they'll dream of getting to. Yeah. Right. So I want to just sort of dive straight into there in terms of like, what does Tom think he had to do consistently well? Yeah. To get to that point, right? Because I think a lot of people will be interested in that. So I guess a question to ask you then, just to, to start to unpack that. I'd love mm. to just get your thoughts on Tom early days. What was he doing differently compared to Tom at the latter end of his career when he was consistently billing 500k or whatever mm. a year? What was he doing differently that meant you were getting way different results like compared to early on? to when you were doing later on? Mm. What were some of the fundamental things you were doing differently that, yeah, you had to learn the hard way that enabled you to get better results, do you think? Yeah, good question. I think, and again, I look at I look at that question probably from the view of recruitment, but also generally in life. And I mm. think I've learned those things and applied them to life as well. I think when you're younger and you're inexperienced, you kind of have this scattergun approach. And it's a scattergun approach where... You just do anything, you know, you do anything. And, and again, I'd put that into life. You do anything in mm. life, you know. And I think in recruitment, certainly sales, that was my approach. I was always a good salesperson. I was a natural salesperson. My parents would say to me, I'll either be Arthur Daly, you know, selling used cars and hustling or a Dell boy, or I'll be Richard Branson. <laughs> you know, it's kind of one, one extreme to the other. And for a long time, I was the Dell boy, you know, because I was kind of hustling, I was doing whatever, Always had ideas, always had different business ideas, but never really stuck at one thing. And I think if I think about recruitment, you know, I fell into recruitment, which which I touched on with you, I think, mm. towards the end. It was never a destination I wanted to be. And it, for me, it was one of those, yeah, I'll do it, I'll give it a go, we'll see what happens. And by doing it that way, not having that focus and not having that view of I'm going to make this work – you do it and you hustle and you beg, you borrow, you steal, you kind of, you know, you do whatever you have to do to do deals. And that's kind of what I was doing. So so there wasn't any thought process to it. There wasn't any structure to it in the early days. It was simply, I'm a good salesperson. I can blag it. I'll do this, but this isn't my job. This isn't my career. I'm going to be a professional football player. I'm going to be, you know, whatever. Um, so you hustle and you wing it and you do whatever you can to get by. And then what happened, I think, for me was probably two or three years into it not being my job, it became my job. <laughs> Um, and, and I was good at it, you know, and, and people would say, you're good at this, you know, and, and my winging and my kind of hustling was actually becoming more repetitive and more consistent where actually it was now becoming, well, that is my process and that's what I do. And then over the years, you refine it a bit. And over the years, as you say, you make mistakes, things don't work, you learn from those things. And I think over a period of time, you then start to recognize that this is working. You know, you start to go, shit, this is actually like, this, is, this, this is this is proving. And as it proves and as it becomes more consistent, you refine it more, you focus on the things that do work, you you realise that actually if things aren't working, you fail quickly and you learn from that and you, and you apply different approaches to things. And I think for me, that's where my career, certainly in recruitment, went. It was a case of winging it and hustling and not really caring to suddenly going, this actually works, refining, learning, adjusting. The biggest thing I, I would say for me 
is that I've been adaptable in okay. recruitment. So I was one of the, I think I was one of the first recruiters on LinkedIn, but when LinkedIn hit the market in 2008, I think it was, mm. I was on it, you know, and I saw the value in it and I saw the potential of it. So I quickly, I quickly took that on board. And that, and that was in a period when it's still very much database, three hours a day on the phone, X many dials a day. Suddenly there was this social platform. And that was hard then because if you were seen on LinkedIn in the day, you were getting a kicking. You know, your boss was giving you a kicking for being on LinkedIn. But it was kind of in my mind, I'm going, but this makes sense. And, and I quickly adapted to that. And I quickly adapted to this whole social selling concept. So I think being adaptable has helped me. But definitely having structure, process, routine, consistency, refinement, mm. failing quickly, learning from my failings and then improving and keep going. That's what I've done throughout my career to where I am now, where it's become muscle memory. It's become habit. It's become routine. It's become I know how to do that stuff because I've done it a million times. But I see a lot of people that don't do that. A lot mm. of people don't stick to things. They, they fail and bail, which is a good saying that I typically use. They don't learn from mistakes, in which case they keep making the same mistakes again and again and again, which is another thing I see regularly, a definition of insanity, keep doing the same thing again and again and again, expecting a different result. So lots of people don't do that. Mm. Uh, and for me, that's where I've always been good is I've, I've seen what doesn't work and I've changed it. I've done something different. I always say to my guys now, do lots of everything. Don't do a small amount of one thing. Do lots of everything. Yeah, there is a numbers game to this. And if something doesn't work, stop doing it do something else. Mm. So I think having that mentality has really served me well and that's enabled me to do what I do. It's got me where I am and now I'm at a point where I'm still doing those things. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still having massive errors, but I'm learning quickly. But some of the fundamentals of recruitment have become habit. Mm. They've become muscle memory. Just one or two things on this really quickly. Honestly, Tom, people love a day plan, mate, when mm. people, people listen to this. So you said there how important a structure process, being disciplined is. Yeah. So could we just, because it, it was probably different now, but could we just very quickly, before we then talk about your sort of entrepreneurial journey, mm. cost yourself back to when Tom was doing the biggest numbers, yep. what was his day plan? People want the detail, mate. Honestly, people love this. Do you want the real answer? Or do you want me to give you a... You, yeah, a, no, let's, <laughs> keep it, let's keep it real, mate. Let's right. give me so, the real so, answer. So the real answer is... I had no day plan. Okay. <laughs> I, I was drunk. You know, I talked to you about okay, this. I, yeah. I had an alcohol problem. And, and when I was at my peak of recruitment, I was drunk. You know, I was I was a functioning alcoholic. Mm. So I was, you know, I was traveling the country. I was, I was, I was working big systems integrators. I was, I was up in Bradford. I was in Norwich. I was in Reading. I was supporting some big, big software projects. I was out with the program managers, the project managers, the PMO managers. I was, I was going for lunches and, mm. So I, that was a period in my life when I didn't have that structure okay. because I was I was living the dream. I was building 500 grand a year. I had a team of resources working for me. So I didn't have, I would say, the the set structure that you would you would expect to do those numbers. What I did have, though, was a structure that built up to that level. You know, so there was things that I did repetitively and consistently that got me to that level. You know, I didn't go and pick up those clients and win those clients and those relationships by chance. There was a, a method to my madness that got me to that level. And that was, you know, simple things like in the morning, you check your emails first thing. And I've always been a morning person, you know, even when I was in my drinking days, you know, I would I would get up at six o'clock. You know, I would work 24 seven, not because I was told to, but I just enjoyed that mentality. You know, I was answering emails at four o'clock in the morning whilst feeding my youngest, you know, feeding them a bottle of milk whilst, you know, middle of the night. So I've always had that kind of off the cuff, reactive kind of, uh, mentality anyway and I would always do something uh, just whenever I needed to I wasn't mm. nine till five but always check my emails in the morning always kind of 
you know, what needs reacting, what needs focusing on. Okay, then you start to structure your day. I'd never do BD at eight o'clock in the morning. I'd never do BD at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I'd do BD at, say, 11 to one o'clock, for example. Afternoons a difficult time for BD. People have lunch. They're a little bit sluggish. You start hitting them with BD calls. It doesn't go well. So I would put those structures in place. Mm. You know, in projects on LinkedIn would be done the night before. So you get a response overnight. So you've got calls to make the next day. Those kind of things I would do. Mm. But yeah, when I was billing my big numbers, I was, you know, traveling around the country, whining, dining, entertaining, mm. which is still a massive skill. And people don't do those things as much anymore. And that was largely what what enabled me to do the big numbers and I had a team and, and everything else. No, I appreciate you being honest. And I know we wanted to speak about this or you mentioned this because I saw saw your video that you put up, I don't know if it was yesterday, this week, around mm. like dry January and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I made a note that, what I think you, did you say that you've been like 12 years sober? Probably more, yeah. 12, 13 years now. I've kind of lost track of it. It's it's kind of lost its importance to mm. me in terms of time frame because it's just become a thing. Yeah, now. become a thing. Let's just talk about this for a sec because I think it'd be helpful. Mm. I feel like it could be its own podcast itself, Ooh. but let, let's talk about it. You very kindly kept it real there and, and was honest. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I personally would be really curious about is... Let's be honest, the journey that you've been on, you can apply to the things that you've obviously had to learn and work through to then, I guess, move away from a habit that obviously wasn't mm. serving you, Yeah, can uh, be applied to a lot of different Absolutely. habits, right, for people listening. So it doesn't necessarily, this is only relatable to you if you have a drinking problem or yeah. you have a bad relationship yeah. with drinking, right? So for me, I guess the thing that I'd be curious about was... Firstly, when did Tom look in the mirror and think and start feeling that he had a... I don't know, a toxic relationship mm. with alcohol because, I don't know, I feel like from all the things that I listen to and I don't know, I feel like there's there must have been a period where you sort of, the story you told yourself was like, this is fine, it's part of the job. Mm. Wine and dining, I'm making this money. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I don't know if there was a moment or it built up over time, but why don't we start there and then maybe you can talk about some of the things that you've had to learn the hard way and mm. that might be really helpful for people. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. I think it's safe to say that in the past two years, the recruitment industry has seen a historical shift. It has been inundated with vacancies, a candidate shortage, and many new recruiters joining the industry. In this candidate-led market, business development hasn't been a priority for many. With a shift in the mist and with many new recruiters now in the industry, the next generation of rookies need to upskill and fast on how to get those much needed job leads. This is why I wanted to introduce Sourcebreaker, the recruitment platform that's transforming the way recruiters work. With Sourcebreaker, recruiters can quickly upskill with a market intelligence suite designed to effectively pursue BD opportunities, all from one place giving your teams a competitive edge in an increasingly changing market. Basically, you spend less time sourcing the internet to find companies that could be hiring. With leads at your fingertips, there's more time to spend on converting leads into placements. Book a Sourcebreaker demo today and see the difference the platform can make. And as you listen to this podcast, you will get a unique discount on this fantastic product. I think the alcohol thing for me was, was it recruitment? Was it before recruitment? It probably was before recruitment, if I'm honest. And I think the in the video I did recently, I talk about the two different alcoholics. You've got the one that suppresses a problem, so you drink to self-medicate, and then you've got the one that actually alcohol is a chemical problem, and mm. you create a, a trigger in your body, which is the craving. 
mechanism. So the minute you have one drink, people talk about, oh, I've opened the floodgates now. You yeah, know, yeah. You have one drink. I needed a hundred because my craving kicked in and I couldn't stop that craving. And I'm a pretty stubborn guy. I couldn't stop that craving. So I had that problem. I wasn't suppressing a problem. I wasn't suppressing a, you know, a trauma. I had a craving. So that was always there. And perhaps it increased over time. And as I got older and drank more, perhaps it became more prominent. So maybe that was an aspect of it. And going into recruitment back in the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, that was a period when it was cocaine, mm. it was booze, it was, you know, especially in London. So maybe that contributed to it, but it wasn't the, it wasn't the defining factor. But I think, look, you know, for me, recruitment probably exposed my insecurities and frailties. So I've always had imposter syndrome when I was playing football, when I was selling cars. I've always thought I'm going to get found out. I'm not that good. So I've always suffered, still do suffer from that. It's a big thing that, that is in my head now, today, last <laughs> night. You know, it's constantly there. And I, but I use it to drive myself now and, I, and, it, and it channels me. Or I channel it and it drives me, I should say. So I've always had that. And, and alcohol would be something that I would use perhaps to, to stop my brain. Stop my insecurities, stop my anxieties. I've been an anxiety sufferer for years. So I think alcohol was something that actually started to kind of suppress some of those things and hide some of those things, but also it contributed to some of those things. Mm. Because the thing with alcohol is actually when you have alcohol, your depression goes up, your anxiety goes up, your insecurities do go up. They might go for a minute, but they come back a lot worse. So for me, it was I was seeing this increased kind of feelings of stuff I didn't like. And I always had this vision of who I was. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be entrepreneurial. I'm going to be the strong person that everyone goes to. I'm going to be the cool guy. I'm, you know, that was always the kind of person I wanted to be, the Brad Pitt, the George Clooney. That was always who I wanted to be. But with the alcohol, I was going the other way. I was turning into the liability. I was turning into the lunatic that everyone didn't want to go out with. I was turning into the mess in the corner. So my journey of trying to be this person I wanted to be I was going the other direction. Mm. And I think that was the point to answer your question of when I suddenly went, this is fucked up. I'm kind of on this destination of who I want to be. I'm going backwards. And I think that was the point for me when I suddenly went, this isn't working. Mm. And then when I had my kids, it kind of became the big thing. I didn't want my kids to see me as that person. I didn't want my kids to see this person that just, you know, they were ashamed of, they're embarrassed, you know, to be around. So for me, that was it. I was like, right, I'm done. And the funny thing is when you stop drinking, unless you really want to stop drinking, you can't stop drinking. And so for me, for six months, eight months, a year before that, I couldn't stop drinking because I didn't really want to. Mm. I was like, yeah, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm mm. cool when I'm drunk, you know. <laughs> but at the point when you suddenly go, this is shit, you know, mm. that's when you know you're going to stop. And I stopped, haven't touched it since, don't want to touch it, don't need it. And do you know what? The person that I want to be, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm not saying I'm this cool you're guy, getting, yeah, you're but I'm on that journey. That, yeah. I'm on that journey. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I guess just really quickly then, what would you say if, if I'm listening to this right now and it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could mm. be just, like I said, a really, you're aware of a habit that yep. isn't sort of serving your future self. Yeah. What would be your advice for someone to take, how can we take that first step, you know, of I think you've going got in a, the other direction? I think you've got to accept and realise there's a there's a problem. Mm. And, and look, you know, when I, when I talk about these things, like you say, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be you work too much, it could mm. be your work-life balance is wrong. It could be, you know, I, I see lots of people now when they, they stop drinking, they replace the drinking with something else. It could be the gym, it mm. could be whatever. If you find that you're doing something to the excess and it's affecting the balances of everything else in your life, you've got a problem. So I talk about the pillars of my life. I've typically got three pillars. I've got the gym, I've got work, I've got my family. And if you think about kind of a Greek... Colosseum, you know, the pillars going up. They're my pillars. And on the top of the, the, the pillars, you've got a platform. If one of my pillars is slightly, say, higher than the other, you've got a slanted platform. So you imagine me 
or a ball on that platform, the ball starts rolling. That ball represents your life. It represents who mm. you are. If my pillars are slightly off, then I've got an imbalance. Yeah. So the ball, my life is going to slip away. I need my pillars to be level. I need my, my work, my gym, my family to be level. And I've kind of created that. It all kind of interacts, it intertwines, and it's got a nice balance. Sometimes, however, I go the wrong way. <laughs> Sometimes I go, fucking right, work, work, work. And family suffers. I don't see my kids. I'm not reading bedtime stories. I'm not spending time with them. I'm not present. They feel it, and mm. I feel it. And it's, it starts to suffer. Then I'm going, shit, I need to see my family more, so I stop going to the gym. For me, the gym is a mental thing as mm. well as a physical thing. So if I'm not going to the gym, I'm getting stressed, I'm getting anxious, so I can feel it. Mm. Because I'm stressed and anxious, my kids are getting neglected, my work is suffering, it's all, it's all gone to shit. Mm. So for me, I've got to have that balance and I've got to have that harmony. And that's my advice to anybody that if they're doing something to the excess, if it's affecting other aspects of your life, you've got a problem. Mm. If it's not, and your life is great and your life is brilliant and everything's fine and you're not being a twat and you're not, you know hugely in debt and you're not getting in fights and you're not cheating on your missus or your boyfriend, your work's brilliant, everyone's happy, fine. <laughs> Crack on, really, because, you, you, you know, yeah. there isn't a problem. But I think if, for me, the, the rule of thumb really is if you're doing something to excess that's affecting everything else in your life or even one aspect of your life, you need to address it. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's having that self-realisation. Lots of people will tell you something's wrong, but until you realise it you yourself, right yourself. Yeah, yeah, until you realise it yourself, you won't change it. No, it's a really, yeah, you can really visualise that one where you sort of said that. It's a really yeah. good way to look at it. Let's talk about this entrepreneurial journey that you're on then. Why don't we start? I think an always great place to start is sort of how Tom thought about how he's going to make his recruitment business different. Mm. Maybe it could be part of it, but maybe we could start with, I know it's like one of the most engaged pieces of content you've done, the, the anti-recruiter recruiter, right? And I think your video was around, why do I have this strap line? Like, why yeah, is yeah, it important yeah. to yeah. me? We don't have to start there, but I want to talk about it. Yeah. But how was Tom thinking about making his recruitment different? How were you? Yeah. yeah. What was your differentiator? Let's start there and then we'll we'll break down this journey. Yeah. So anybody that does well in recruitment at some point in their life goes, I'm going to do it for myself. Mm. You know, you kind of have that, have that internal conversation. Lots of people don't do it because it's a risk. Lots of people think, no, I'm not going to bother and, and they're earning big money. For me, it was always in the back of my mind. And I, sh I should have done it. I could have done it years ago. I shouldn't have done it years ago because I wasn't ready. When I did, it was at the right time because I was ready. I'd run businesses, I'd built businesses, I'd, you know, I'd managed, hired, fired, so I was ready. Ten years ago, I wouldn't have been ready. So for me, when I did it, it had to be, well, how am I going to make this work? Because there's so many bloody recruitment companies. There's so many recruiters. There's so many Freds in the sheds. There's so many people in their bedroom doing recruitment. So, and I didn't want to be that, you know, and I used to have battles with my wife about this because she would go, no, you know, do a lifestyle business. We go on loads of holidays. And, and for me, I was like... That's cool, but I want more than that. I want to make a difference. I want to do something. I want to be impactful. I want to be remembered. I want to do something that's going to have some kind of a legacy. I don't just want to be Tom at home going on loads of holidays, which I could have done. Build half a million quid, lived a brilliant life, but I wanted more than that. So when I looked at recruitment, and I've had this frustration with recruitment for many, many years, I generally don't like a lot of the industry. Mm. I don't like a lot of the people in the industry. I don't like how the industry is conducted. I don't like the, the, some of the practices. As I talk about the wide boys, I don't like that mentality. I don't like the sort of the pinstripe suits, the red braces, the, the brown loafers. The, you know, I can't stand that. And I think there is an issue with that. And I think recruitment companies and recruitment owners drive that behaviour. And I know why they do it. You know, they, it thinks, they think it makes them money. To a degree, it might do, but that's a short-term win for me. You see all these guys spouting off the Wolf of Wall Street bullshit, you know, and, you know, 
if your wife's ugly, get on the phone. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. And I've seen people do it. Yeah. So uh, I kind of feel like the industry's broken. It needs fixing. I think the, the service levels in recruitment are bad. I think the customer service, the candidate service levels are bad. I think the reputation of recruiters is bad. So there's, there's lots in there that needs fixing. So for me, it was, well, how am I going to differentiate myself? How am I going to do something different? How am I going to make an impact? The anti-recruiter Stratman wasn't the kind of the, the outset goal. The outset goal was we're going to do this better. The initial thing I was going to do better was be a better recruitment company for my employees. That was the thing. Right. So I came from a recruitment company that was quite hardcore, you know, mobile phone in your drawer. The CEO would, would track how long you're in the toilet for. You know, <laughs> you'd get an email going, you spent seven minutes in the toilet. What were you doing? You know, it's like, do you really want to know? Um, you know, your mobile phone's in your drawer. You weren't allowed to go and talk to people, you know. So so for me, it was like, I'm going to make this a better environment for my employees. I'm going to make it a better life, work-life balance. And do you know what? It, it pissed me off, actually, because pre-COVID, I was kind of one of the first recruitment companies that went remote working, unlimited holiday, relaxed environment, no KPIs. We're going to be, you're going to take ownership. You're going to be accountable. I'm going to hire adults. So I'm going to treat you like an adult. You know, what you put in is what you get out. That was my whole vision. Mm. COVID came along and completely fucking stole my thunder. <laughs> COVID came along and literally was like, the whole fucking world went remote. So I'm like, shit, got to get a new USP. And we're kind of doing that and we're kind of evolving with that. Actually, the funny thing is I've, I've slightly reverted on that now because I'm not a big fan of the fully remote model, which is what I preached at the beginning, because I've seen it doesn't work. Mm. You need to have a hybrid element. You need to have the, the people, the competitiveness, the culture. So I'm a, I've kind of reverted a bit. But initially, that was my setup. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to be different. The evolution of that is we can do that, and that's cool. But as I said, kind of COVID came along and pissed on my bonfire a little bit. So I've kind of lost what made me different. What I'm sort of now doing is going, do you know what? Actually, I'm going to make more of an impact than that. Yes, we've got a lovely company. Yes, we can have our values and who we are. And I still stand by that. I'm going to try and impact the industry more. You know, I am going to try and fix the service levels. I am going to try and whittle out the shit recruiters. I am going to try and reduce the amount of bad recruiters, bad habits, bad behaviours. So I'm on, a, I'm on a journey to massively change that industry. And it's the perception of the industry, candidate perspective, from a client perspective, from the externals looking in. I'm on a journey to change that. And some of the things that I'm doing from a business perspective will, will impact that and will change that. And there's mm. some stuff we're going to launch this year that will do that. You know, does it need to be regulated? Possibly. Because essentially, look, you could, you know, meet a guy tomorrow and sell him the dream of recruitment. He goes, yeah, fucking brilliant. I'm going to set a business up. Goes and sets it up. Starts recruiting for people. What he's then essentially doing is he's affecting the company he's recruiting for. He's affecting the person he's recruiting. He hasn't got a clue. Mm. And that's the problem with recruitment. You can affect the a business and you can affect someone's lives by selling them the dream, but completely misleading them. And then you've knackered a business, you've knackered someone's life because you've sold them the wrong dream. And that for me is a worry because nothing's regulating that. Nothing is stopping that from happening. And that's where I think recruitment's got an issue. So, you know, I'm going to try and fix that. I'm, going, I'm on a mission. I'm on a kind of a, some kind of a, I don't know, uh, a journey to try and change that industry. And, and I, what I want to be is that there's credible recruiters left because there's so many of them out there. Mm, so many. But they get tarnished with that bad brush. Mm. Well, why don't you just talk really quickly on that because, look, I think when we spoke about this, look, that, that really resonates with me. It's a big mm. part of why I started this podcast. And for me personally, I don't know what you, how you feel about this, but I think we've got a better chance of getting to the place that you're describing if we collaborate more rather than um, tear each other down. 100%. 
But I think what I liked when you, even in this video, but it's what you said to me as well, is yes, 100% the industry has to take accountability for some of the things mm. that you said. But it isn't, it's also, obviously, you, would, you shared with me around your perspective on, well, part of the accountability as well is clients and, and encouraging bad practice. So what, why don't you just talk a bit, just share your perspective on that? Because I think that would have been a big reason why people really enjoyed that video. Is mm. like, yes, there are a lot of people that cut corners, do rubbish things, but also it can't, the accountability can't just be no. on recruiters. So I thought it was interesting. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincherry. And I wanted to start this year by just making things a bit more clear. Last year, Vincherry joined forces with the Access Group. Vincherry has always spoken openly about their ambition to become the recruitment operating system. By partnering with a heavyweight like the Access Group, who shares their vision of providing a single operating system for the front, middle and back office of recruitment firms, there are now no limits to how far Vincherry can take the platform and the experience they provide all of their customers. Vincherry will also become the flagship CRM within Access Recruitment's portfolio or products. It's the same people, same platform, just way more firepower, which is why I'm really excited to continue my partnership with Vincherry this year. Just to make things a bit more clearer as well, Vincherry is offering a really simple offer for all of you listeners of this podcast. If you listen to this podcast and find that Vincherry is a great solution for your recruitment business, you will get 10% off your user license. That's 10% off. Use the show notes and there'll be a link in there to get that discount and book in a demo. And it is for me because it's very easy to blame recruiters. Yeah. Very easy. But recruiters are only reacting to a situation. They're, they're reacting or responding to an environment or, or they're reacting, responding to a situation. Now, for me, there's accountability across all three components of recruitment. Candidate, client, recruiter. There's accountability there. It's a bit like the chicken and egg. Where did it start? Mm. And there'll always be an argument on that, you know, to say, no, it's them, it's you, you know. For me, when I look at it, I think there's accountability across all of it. So let's think about the recruitment journey typically. I'm not talking about exclusivity. I'm not talking about retained. I'm talking about conventional, speculative, permanent recruitment, which is the majority mm. of the industry. So a client has a role. A client goes, right, need to fill this role. Mega urgent. Let's get it out there. Let's get it in the market. Right, let's go and hit all the, all the usual suspects. So they go and pick six recruitment companies. You know, they go, right, we're going to do this. They go to market. It's right, we're going to have one briefing call. You can't ask any questions on that call. You can listen. You can maybe send an email through. Following that call, you can't have any contact. You're going to send all your CVs through the applicant tracking system. And we'll come back to you, you know, when we've reviewed them, when we feel that there's there's a good profile. So they're basically going, right, we're going to handcuff you. So you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. Plus, you're going to race against six people. We're not going to pay you a penny <laughs> up front. We're going to pay you nothing. But we're going to let you race. We're going to let you go. Essentially, the winner is the one that gets there quickest. That's the winner. The winner is the one that gets there quickest. So what will typically happen in recruitment model is those six agencies will go, right, fucking hell, right, let's run, let's race, let's fucking, right, we've got to beat these guys, we've got to go. And, and what you're then doing is, as a recruiter, you're going, well, I haven't got time to be credible. I haven't got time to do the research. I haven't got time to spend on a pitch. I haven't got time to spend on a nice presentation. I haven't got time to really qualify people properly because I know I'm racing against those six guys and I know some of those six guys and they're going to be ruthless. So you're racing. You're sacrificing quality, you're sacrificing substance, you're sacrificing credibility. 
And what's going to happen is you're going to lie, you're going to cheat, you're going to manipulate, you're going to cut corners, you're going to try and shaft your mate, you're going to try and, and do whatever you can to win that race. So what then is happening is CVs are getting sent without being qualified. CVs are being sent without the candidate even knowing. You know, all these bad behaviours are coming into it mm. because it's a race. And then the client's going, oh, it's amazing, got all these CVs. They start interviewing the candidates, the candidates are rubbish. There may be one that gets through the loop and they kind of go, yeah, okay, we're going to hire that person. That person then leaves after two months. <laughs> what then happens is the client turns around and goes to the recruitment company. That was terrible. That was a shit service. You know, you were awful. But what they don't realise is they started that mechanism. They started that mechanism by basically saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, it's a race, off you go, first one to get to the finish line wins. Mm. They've started that behaviour. The candidate will also be accountable because the candidate sometimes will lie, the candidate will cheat, the candidate will play recruiters off against each other to get their, to get their best way uh, or to get uh, the way they want it. So you've got all this kind of manipulation and lying going on within this process because that's what people do. People are selfish, people are greedy, people mm. will do what's right for them. So you've got the recruiters being sceptical of the candidates, the candidates being sceptical of the, of the recruiter, the client has basically created this race that no one's going to win in because it's going to be an absolute shit show. And that's the recruitment process. <laughs> but the one that will get the blame for that will be the recruitment company. Yeah. And everyone will turn around and go, well, that was bloody shit, wasn't it? You know, so for me, it's like, that is where the breakdown comes in and that's where it needs to be fixed. Recruitment should be retained. Recru recruitment should be, you should even do it as like, so in the tech industry, you'll have a, an RFP, for example, or an RFI, so a request for information, a request for pricing. You pick some companies, you let them tender, so create a presentation and tell me why you should get this rec or you should have six months of exclusivity with us. They present, they pitch, you choose that person, off you go. Mm. Becomes a proper partner. You would see a massive uptake in the, in the recruitment process if that was how it was done. Yeah. So talk to me about this business journey then. So what, what's been most difficult so far? People. Yeah? Without a doubt. People are the biggest frustration, I think, in business, but definitely in recruitment, because unfortunately in recruitment, you're dealing with people. Mm. People, for me, has been the biggest challenge. The what have you been biggest... most surprised by? So if I think about my business, you know, Evans Denham Group, the biggest thing for me is trying to do right. But I think whenever you try and do right, you're still perceived to be doing wrong. Mm. And that could be candidates, that can be clients, in some cases, employees. You know, employees don't necessarily think you're trying to do right by them. So I think people is the hardest challenge that I've seen on this journey, trying to keep everybody happy, trying to do what's right by people, trying to create an environment where everybody's happy, because that's hard. Does it exist? I don't know. Is there ever a company where everyone's happy? I don't know. Mm. But that, that's, been a, that's been a challenge. And then I think, let's so say, you, you look at the aspect there of clients of people, candidates of people, mm. employees of people. The whole concept of this business is people. So that's definitely the biggest challenge. Yeah. What about specifically hiring? Because that, that does, I'll be honest, that whenever I sit down with recruitment entrepreneurs, that really does end up being something that they get really right or mm. have to go through a lot of pain to get it right. What's been your journey with that? Like, what have you had to learn the hard way when it comes to actually hiring for your own business? So I think, I think we've kind of got it right. We haven't had huge attrition. In the three years we've been running, we've had some steady growth. We've lost some people. But I would say they were obvious errors. Mm. So I hired my nephew, young lad, 19 at the time, a little bit lost, wanted to give him a direction, wanted to give him a, a journey. It was never a business benefit. You know, it was never uh, something that was going to grow the business. I was trying to help him. And in hindsight, should I have done that? I don't know. Would I do it again? I probably would. But that didn't work. Mm. Um, and that was obvious. Another guy I hired was a former employee. Uh, I think he lost his love of recruitment at mm. his former company. And he admitted that. And I saw that. And they probably saw that. I then thought, well, I can reignite that. Again, in hindsight, could I? Did I know I probably couldn't? 
probably. But I, want, <laughs> but I want him to give him a chance. So, again, this is that failing mm. quickly thing. You kind of recognise your failings and, and admit them, you know. Generally, we've been okay. You know, I think where it becomes harder is to get good people. Mm. You know, get the good people, get the credible people, and especially post-COVID, because some of the things that I could chuck out there pre-COVID when I launched the business, they were attractive points. I could go unlimited holiday. I mm. could go remote working, flexible, you know, no micromanagement, fun. Mm. You know, they were the things that I was using to attract people. And in recruitment, that was non-existent. Post-COVID, everyone's chucking that out. So what is your differentiator? You know, oh, you know, we've got 30% commission. Well, so is everyone. Uh, you know, we do hybrid working. Well, so does everyone. You know, we do dress down. So does everyone. So there is no differentiator right now. It has to be, and, and this is kind of where I'm now trying to do it, it has to be about the person mm. or the people. They have to see that you are the differentiator and that's they want to work for that person. So curious then, I think we spoke a bit about this. How have you gone about building leaders in your business or how have you gone about... Yeah, I guess making Tom redundant or mm. Tom not sort of involved and in touch with everything because that would have been the the only way that you would have yeah grown to over ten going towards twenty people. Mm. Like, what what's that journey been like for you? Because I know again hard. that's really difficult. Yeah, really hard, especially when it's your own business because you 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 just you're on it, you're on everything, you're proud of everything, you're worried about everything. It's hard. I'm on that journey now, so I'm definitely not not finished with that journey. And people that will listen to this that work for me will be laughing, going, fucking, he's nowhere near finished on that journey. <laughs> so I, I'm, you know, what have I done and how have I done it? I want people to be leaders. I want people to step up. I want people to have responsibility. I want them to have a sense of ownership. So if I think about Jake and George who work for me, who've built the digital practice, that's exactly what they've done. Mm. They've taken a sense of ownership. They've taken pride in what they do. They're invested in it to the point where they, they helped our website builder build a website. Mm. You know, everything is branded to their to their colours, their choice. I've stepped away from that completely and gone, it's yours, you do it. And I can see the benefit of that because they're so invested in it and they're so proud of it. Trying to replicate that across the business and other areas is not as easy. And I think that's because I might say, well, I've got this sales division. I want you to own that sales division. It's still not their division. <laughs> Whereas Jake and George came to me and went, we're going to build this. And I went, great, go mm. and do it. So from the start, it was theirs. So I think that does help. I think giving people autonomy, giving people the ability to make decisions is really key. One of the things I would say that I've done well is I've separated myself from operations. So I was running everything, sales, operations, everything. I've I've put Stacey, my wife, she's running operations. I've got my sister-in-law, Sasha. She runs HR and finance. I've been lucky enough that our developer guy has now joined us on a permanent basis. He's marketing and development. So he's marketing director. I've got some amazing people mm. that I actually completely trust. Recently hired a sales leader, which I'm going to be announcing this week or next week. Somebody that's worked for me previously. So he's going to run sales for me. So I'm going to run the business and all the other projects. He's going to run sales. I've got my marketing director. I've got my finance and HR director. I've got Stacey now as COO. So she's overseeing operations. So for me, it's give them the power and the ability but also hire the right people. Mm. You know, I've always been a believer of hire good people and let them be good. And that's hard sometimes because being the control freak I am, I want a medal, not as in a physical medal around my neck, as in <laughs> I want to meddle in their affairs. Yeah. I probably do want a medal as well, but hire good people and let them be good. Mm. And, and actually you notice it because some people you hire that you think are good and they're not good mm. and you have to step in. What I also say to all my guys is if I have to step in and do something before you do it, you know you're doing it wrong. Mm. If you do something before I step in, you're doing something right. 
And I'm seeing that from some of those now. They're doing things before I even say it. They're doing things before I even mention it. And that for me is an indication it's working. So how have you then worked out where Tom can have the biggest impact on the business then if all of a sudden you walk in the office, you're like, I'm not fucking needed. What have I got to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but and, you and must have figured out then, right, where well, can there, I apply my there, energy there, and effort? There was an ego thing with that. And I've struggled mm. with that recently because I, I want to walk in the room and, you know, I have an impact mm. and they're hinged on me doing something, which is mental because that's just, you shouldn't oh, have that. That'd be really common for sure. But you shouldn't have that. But the ego in me is like, why, why are they not waiting for me? Why are they doing stuff? And, you know, <laughs> but that's actually fucking brilliant because mm. they should be doing stuff. So running the business, you know, so I, where I was struggling back in the last year was I was, I was dipping into some of the other projects that we're, we're going to launch, we're going to build, focusing my attention into them and then forgetting about sales, forgetting about the consultants. And then what was happening was numbers were dipping. So I would then go, oh shit, right, forget about those projects. I now need to go and kick everyone up the arse and get them back focused on, on the basics of recruitment, which I would do and numbers would go back up. And then I'd go, okay, it's cool. Numbers are back up. Okay, I'll go back and do those projects again. And then same again, numbers would dip and, you know, so, so for me now, it's like, right, I'm going to run the business. I'm going to make sure that marketing, HR, finance is the absolute best it can be. We're going to have the best systems, the best processes. From a marketing perspective, there's so much to do. And I love marketing. So we're, doing, we're going to do podcasts. There's a book coming out. There's various different businesses we're launching. We've got the Evans Denham group page, which we're massively driving the, the brand and the following on that. We're at 250,000 followers in three years. We're going to get that to a million, mm. probably in the next 18 months. And that million becomes my audience then that I can then leverage for all the other ideas that I've got and all the other things we're going to implement. So I can focus on marketing. I can focus on running the business properly. Profitability is a big thing this year. We we haven't focused on profitability that much. So a big focus of mine is profitability, not just on reducing cost. Getting the most out of... But yeah, get, getting the most out of what we've got, you know, and, and driving the right behaviours and maximising those. We've got the Hub, which is my one of my coaching platforms, which is a, a video content which we're going to enhance. We're going to start doing CV, resume, LinkedIn reviews. So I'm seeing at the minute people are paying crazy money for people to do professional CV writing, which is ridiculous. Someone quoted me $700 the other day that they're, they're paying. Um, so we're going to do some kind of an AI CV LinkedIn review on the Hub. Mm. We're going to get other people on there to talk about you know hiring tips. So where I've seen my mind shift a little bit now is, yes, I'm in recruitment and it's tech recruitment. I'm actually looking at it going, I can actually have a bigger impact than that. You know, if I think about the masses out there, the masses of the people that are looking for work, I've reached the realisation now, people don't know how to get a job. People don't know how to interview correctly. People don't know how to write a CV. People don't know how to close, how to pre-close. They don't know how to get engagement. They don't know how to interview the interviewer. They don't know how to ensure they, they lock in a second stage. They don't know this stuff. Mm. So I'm, I'm on a mission now to to help the people that are looking for work, help the unemployed by teaching them those tools. So I've kind of got that side of my business, which is more of a generalised coaching. Then I've got the recruitment business. The model I've got, which is the Evans Denham Group, that's a, a parent company, a holding company. That's where the infrastructure of our business sits. My vision is the recruitment side can keep on growing. Mm. You know, We could have Evans Denham Healthcare, Evans Denham Construction, Evans mm. Denham Finance, for example. So we'll have those businesses in recruitment. We've got ED sales, we've got ED digital, we've got an internal business at the minute, which is ED tech. It's not external. It could be. I think it will go under digital, if I'm honest. So we've got that business. The other side of the business is more coaching platforms, academies that I'm going to build, the hub, the book I'm going to write and launch, podcast we're going to put out there. And a lot of that is aimed more at helping people to get hired. Mm. So it's not specific to tech and recruitment as such. It's more about the job market, hiring, unemployment, how to get a job. 
And that for me is where there's a massive value. There's a mm. massive value in that. And then we've got the app business as well, which actually is recruitment. So that sits on more on that side and that will launch hopefully this year as well. Family. Yep. Talk to us about that. You've, you work with, uh, you started this business with your partner in life. Yep. I didn't realise also your sister and uh, Laura is yeah. part of that as well. Yeah. What's that been like? I'm sure there's been challenges with that. Or yeah. What, what's uh, that been like? Do you know what? It, the vision, mm. and, and I had this vision, and I, I talk about my, my nephew I hired. My vision was to help people. Mm. I've always said, I don't want to be the richest guy in the room. I want everybody to have some kind of a wealth realisation. I want to change people's lives. I want to help people. And that, some people might call that naive, but that is who I am. Mm. You know, I'm one of those guys, it's always nice to be nice. Yes, I'm opinionated and yes, I'm a bit stubborn, but it's always nice to be nice. <laughs> I will always help someone. I'll walk mm. down the street. If I see someone needs help, I'll help them. So for me, it was like, do you know what? I want to help people. Start with your family. You know, my sister-in-law, bless her, she was working part-time because she had kids. The company she worked for, you know, it was an office job. It was hard. She was getting paid pro rata, nine grand a year, mm. 15 grand a year, I think in the end, maximum. Barely living. You know, hadn't been a holiday in abroad in God knows how many years. And she's brilliant, you know, and I, and I love her to death. And she works hard. and She deserves more. So for me, I was like, I want to help her. So I bought her in. She worked in finance and she's done HR. And so I was like, this is fucking, she could be my mm. operations manager. Bought her in and, and, and changed her life. And I don't want plaudits for that at all. The plaudits I get is seeing her going on holiday last year. Mm. So I think they went to Barbados or Cyprus. Her and her kids and, and her husband, you know, that's what I love seeing. You know, seeing her, you know, being able to buy things that she couldn't buy and live the life. That for me is just, I don't need her to ever say thank you. And I wouldn't ever want to say thank you. But that for me is, I love seeing that. Mm. And to know that I've helped her do that. For me, that's brilliant. So that's great. She pisses me off and, and I piss her <laughs> off. And, you know, she's the first one to ignore my WhatsApps at, you know, midnight on a Saturday night when I'm moaning about the P&L. Um, I think she even mutes my, my notifications, I think. But... You know, and we've had a few chats and a few conversations. I've always said to her, look, I love you to death. Like, don't ever forget that. You've got a job for life, but you piss me off. <laughs> but we have to have that relationship. Mm. My wife, major issues when we first started out. She wanted the lifestyle business. I didn't. I wanted, you know, the bigger business. I wanted the empire. Huge strain in the early days because of stress, because mm. of business was absorbing me. Our relationship was failing. Mm. My, my relationship with my kids was failing. So it was a massive amounts of strain then we changed the structure and she is now involved so when when we first started out she was a shareholder because it was just more tax convenient you know it was more beneficial to kind of go well you could have a salary and i'll have a salary you can do a bit of office management as your job and it will kind of work and that was kind of how we positioned she was a hairdresser for mm. 16 17 maybe 20 years um so she wasn't in recruitment so she never worked in an office so it just kind of didn't make sense we then made a decision that okay i'm not gonna not do this because this for me is my dream as a kid. This for me was my ambition was to build a business. So, you know, the only way that it's going to work is if you actually have a proper job in this, you know, if you properly do something. So I said, right, I'm going to make you operations manager at a time, I think, or operations director, and this is going to be your job. Mm. And do you know what? She's been unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. I mean, learn a lot. She watches a lot. She's She runs that business as I do. She can't do the things I do. She's not maybe got the ideas I've got and she's not got the entrepreneurial side that I've got and she's not got the maybe the people aspect and, and maybe the gravitas. She's very introverted, you know, 
if she was sitting here now, she'd be under the desk probably crying, you know. <laughs> so she hasn't got that ability, but mm. she is organised, she's structured, she is, where I'm perhaps too nice, she's not that nice and she'll she'll be harder. She runs that business, you know, phenomenally. And I sort of joke about it. She ensures the bloody coffee is filled up, you know. She'll build a desk with me when a desk needs building. You know, we're in there, we're building desks, we're building chairs, we're putting TVs on the wall. You know, we're that hands-on. So she'll do that stuff. Equally, she'll sit in marketing meetings, finance meetings. She runs the finance and, and operations team now. We've got a customer success manager reports into her. She's on it, mm. you know. I've seen her looking at the P&L more than I do, you know. So she's on it. So to have that, I think, has been really fortunate because initially it didn't work. Mm. You know, it didn't work. And it was the kids were suffering, the business was suffering, the relationship was suffering, the extended family was suffering. Her, my sister-in-law's her sister. That was suffering. So to get it where we've got it to is much better. Just as we come to an end then, just on that, because I think a lot of people struggle with this. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, when they start their own business, do you actually ever switch off? I don't, no. I don't think so. I just think you have to get... I, what I've really had to get better at is just being present. I think there's nothing more worse than your partner saying, like, you're you're, you're not there or... Mm. Like, that. that's horrible to hear. So, I get just on that really quickly, like, obviously, as you kindly shared with us, it was difficult. What's ended up really working? Have you ended up putting some, like, good boundaries in place? Have you ended up sort of putting some non-negotiables in place? Think, well, it, go, it goes back to probably where I talk about my three pillars. Yeah. So, my three pillars, for me to operate, have to work in harmony. And, and I think everybody has those. But some people might have 25 pillars. Again, you have to kind of do some of your own self-analysis on this to work out what are the important things to you. For me, it's simple. It's my family, it's the gym, and it's work. Mm. But I don't have a, an off switch on those. And I think that's what enables me to work. So I don't have a, no, it's family time. Mm. I, I don't have that. That wouldn't work for me. I would struggle with that because I'd have one eye sort of in the corner looking <laughs> at my phone going, what's that notification? You know, it has to be a combined so when I go on holiday, I do work, mm. but I go to the beach mm. and I, I play in the pool with the kids and I might go, oh, hang on a minute, Albie, let me just go and do a quick phone call and I'll come back. So I don't have what people would have sometimes, which is, okay, I'm going to do four hours of playtime with the kids and I'm going to do three hours of work. I don't do that because mm. for me, that's, that's really hard to manage. And, and I still think you're losing out somewhere there and it's too rigid. It's too structured in, in the, the running a business and the entrepreneurial world. You can't be that rigid. You have to react. You have to be spontaneous. But on the flip side of that is, I then have to put the phone down and play with my kids. I then have to put the phone down and go and play football. I have to go and, you know, do a cannonball in the pool. And, you know, for me, that works. Mm. And as a family, that works. You know, I have to go to the gym. But I go to the gym, it's on our, it's on our business park. Mm. So I go to the gym in the morning at nine o'clock. I take the kids to school. I go to the gym at nine o'clock. I'm in the office at 10. We start at 10. I've done that. I've got the balance, mm. you know, and then I'll, we'll go home and, and we'll go home at five o'clock. I'll play some PlayStation with my kids. My phone will be next to me. I'll go, all right, mate, I've got to go and sort this out now. I'll go and do a quick phone call. I might get on the laptop. Then I'll go back and play PlayStation again. I'll play or in the summer, play football. You know, we've got a big golf net in the garden. I'll go and hit some golf balls. Mm. My phone's never not with me. So if it does ring, I go, oh, hang on, mate, let me answer this quickly. And I'll answer it. Mm. So for me, it's a, it's a kind of an intertwining process. And that, that isn't for everyone. You've got to find what works for you because some people having the switch off and the discipline works. Mm. For me, it doesn't. If I have a switch off, it increases my anxiety massively because I think, what am I missing? So I have to have an intertwining thing. But I mean, example, my kids after school, they come to the office. <laughs> really? Yeah. We've Not got that. Xboxes, we've got arcade machines, we've got TVs in every bloody room, we've got three big offices. They go and play Xbox. 
Mm. You know, we've got, we've got drink, we've got sweets, we've got donuts, Krispy Kremes on the go. They love it. <laughs> you know, my, and it's, it's good as well because my kids, especially my youngest, when we started this business, he was three and a half. He's now seven, seven and a half. The people that work for me, Scott, who, who's one of the investors, he's seen my kids grow up. Mm. He's like Uncle Scott. Mm. They're fighting in the office. They're, you know, so we don't have that switch off. And that is what enables it to work for us. The kids mm. can come in, they play, they mess about with the guys in the office. My daughter, who's the oldest, she might on a Friday night, if she's out in touring with her mates, she'll have a key to the office. We'll go, yeah, go back and get some pizza <laughs> and go and watch telly in the office. Yeah. Why not? No, I, I appreciate you being honest there because look, I'm sure like there's definitely a narrative online that that's like, oh no, you can't do that. It's like work-life balance. So I appreciate you being honest it's there. Works. It's what works for you. It's about what works for you then. It's the what day. works. You know I... What I, mean? I when I was talking about the alcohol thing the other day, you can only listen to what I say and, and take snippets of advice. It isn't the gospel. Mm. You know, what works for me may not work for you. So mm. you have to find what works. If you have to have an off switch and you have to have a complete, you know, turn your phone off at nine o'clock, you know, people talk about sleep and that kind of thing and not having the UV lights and all those kind of things. If it works for you, do it. Mm. If it doesn't, don't do it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't think you should, you should follow set rules because mm. someone says they're the set rules. Yeah, Find what works for you. And if it works, keep doing it. As mm. I said to you before, fail quickly and learn from it. Mm. Apply that to life and you won't go wrong. So look, as, as we come to an end here, then I'd love to just end on here then. What's Tom's perspective on what do great recruiters have to do in 2023 to yeah have a great year, stand out? I don't know how you feel about it, but for sure things are going to be difficult for mm. different people, different markets. But yeah, what what sort of Tom's perspective and... Uh, your mantra uh, for this year and what people can do to, yeah, just be successful, do well. Yeah, so, I mean, without upsetting some of your audience, I think I think the Generation Z need to have a bit of a wake-up call because I think where they want everything to be happy, harmonious, you know, work-life balance, you know, my mental health must be amazing, all those things, which are great, you cannot forget you have to work hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think where I'm talking about the Generation Z now, because that's the generation just behind me, very closely just behind me. I'm just, I think mean, I just missed it, I think. I was a millennial. The Generation Z, they have a different view, different perspective. They need to make sure they still work hard. Uh, and a lot of recruiters fall into the Generation Z bracket. They need to work hard. You cannot succeed if you don't work hard. You cannot be successful if you don't work hard. So my biggest focus for everybody right now is you need to work hard. You know, think about the return on investment. What you put into this is what you'll get out of this. So if you work hard, you will do well. There is a numbers game to this. When shit gets hard, you have to increase the numbers. So, you know, I always talk about do lots of everything. Don't do a small amount of one thing. You can get to a point where you're you're billing 300 grand a year and you've kind of got a couple of clients and, you, you know, it's, it's going well you're probably not applying yourself as much as you would have done to build up to that point. You're probably into a routine. If you lose two of those clients and you're suddenly down to billing 100 grand a year, you can't sit back and go, it's all right, it'll change, and rest on your laurels. You have to go back to what you did to get those clients and to get that position. You have to do a lot of everything. So work hard. You know, you cannot sacrifice that. Work hard, put variety into what you do, do a lot of everything, and be consistent. Biggest thing for me is consistency. People do something for a week and go, oh, that didn't work, I'm not doing that again. It's too short. Mm. Or they do it for a day and go, oh, shit, I didn't get any results on that. You have to be consistent. So I think the three things I would say to anybody now that wants to be successful, work hard, don't ever, ever sacrifice that. Number two, do lots of everything, have variety, so mix it up, and be consistent. 
you do those three things in recruitment and you will be successful categorically. Mm. Even if it's a numbers game, you'll be successful. Yeah. And just to add my thoughts on that, why people listening should feel freed by that or almost like that should be a real positive is that all those things that you just said there are in your control. Massively. And yeah, we can all get caught up in today and focus on the things we can't control, right? And I think the the sooner you start going, this I read this on the news, so my clients said this and all this is happening, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So all those things there that Tom's just broken down, you can control. And that Massively. should innate, that should give you positive, that should give you optimism that if you control those things and you're honest with yourself then you, you're always going to have a fight and chance. The thing, and the thing, the thing on that as well, and this is one of the things I would say to anybody listening to this, is we've all got the same amount of hours in a day. Mm. It's what you do with those hours, and it's how you utilise those hours will determine how successful you are. You know, you look at people that are hugely successful, they don't have more time. Mm. They just use that time better. And, and that's something else I think recruiters need to realise. You know, we're not saying it's nine till five. You can do nine till five but you'll only get so far. Mm. Or you can do nine till five, but your utilisation of that nine to five is so unbelievable, you just fucking excel. But think about the 24 hours you've got. Think about the time you're sitting on your ass at home on the, on the sofa watching Kim Kardashian, mm. you know, or you're scrolling through social media for four hours at home. Do something else. Mm. Do something productive. Do something that is going to make you some money. You know, I always say to people, and I, I got consumed by Instagram in, in lockdown. I was so self-obsessed with my six-pack and so self-obsessed with just me being an influencer and all that madness. I was spending more time on Instagram than LinkedIn. And that was the year I should be building my business. It was mental. You know, I was so consumed with it until I had a, an epiphany. I went, what the fuck am I doing? Mm. I'm on Instagram more than on LinkedIn. For what? For likes? For validation that I'm, I'm you know, fit or whatever. You know, mental. So I got rid of it, completely deleted it, and I focused on LinkedIn mm. because that would make me money. Mm. You know, your brand, your your you're putting your profile out there, it will make you money. You're not going to become an influencer on Instagram <laughs> as much as you might think you are. You're not. Mm-hmm. Do something that's going to make you money. Be productive. You know, maximize the 24 hours you've got in the day. Mm. You know, work hard, do lots of everything, be consistent, you will be successful. Look, Tom, always appreciate people that I meet that are unapologetically themselves. And I think that's exactly what you are. And I've I've always got time for people like that and Good. I think um, yeah I think one of the best things you can be in life is authentic and I think that's that's what you've been in this conversation spoken about life mindset business but yeah like yeah I think you, you've been on a, a great journey excited mm. to see from outside looking in the things you clearly have big aspirations big goals so yeah thank you so much for, for joining no, me I, on I, the, on I the appreciate pod. it I talk too much I waffle too much <laughs> I could sit here for four days talking <laughs> so I'm kind of, I try to condense it so that I'm not you know boring everyone but no I really enjoy it and and like you know I, I see what you're doing and I see the people you've got on there and, and to be associated to that is, is, is really humbling so I really appreciate it Tom appreciate it thank you mate thank you mate well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform that will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast i hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free 
on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.